Welcome to the weekly message from Encounter, where your past has no future and hope is reborn. Our speaker today is Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor at Encounter. The next few minutes, burden on my heart to share with you the, the tale of two churches. This is found in 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning at verse number 1. In nearly 30 years of ministry, I have never preached from this passage before. Probably because of all the hard names to pronounce it. <laughs> now, there was a certain man of Ramathim, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, the son of Jerohom, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf. An Ephraimite, and he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord were there, and whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. Although the Lord had closed her womb, and her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she, Hannah, wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat, and why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink but have poured out my soul before the Lord. 
Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to the house of Ramah and Elkanah, knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. Stretch your hands this way and pray with me and for me this morning. Father, your word is spirit and it is life and it will never return void. It will always accomplish that which you have sent it to do. The Holy Spirit, I give you absolute liberty to speak to this body. Take this word. You know the hearts of every individual in this place, including my own. Take this word and speak to our hearts. Help us grasp it, God, and hide it in our hearts that that we might not sin against you and that we might not fail in the day that's coming. Holy Spirit, have your way here today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. To understand what the Lord's speaking to us, we have to understand a little bit about this story, this This man, Elkanah, had married Hannah. She was actually his first wife. And they had been married now almost 10 years when it became apparent that she was never going to have any children, or at least that's what they believed. And in those days, in that culture, you as a man, your household and the value of it was determined by how many children you had. And oftentimes, even how many children a wife gave a husband, her value was determined. If she gave her husband many children, she was considered a valuable wife. But if she gave her husband no children, then she, her value was very diminished in that culture. We, we get the, the sense when you go back and you read the story and some of the additional biblical story that Elkanah was actually okay with that. He... He had a passion for Hannah, and they they had a great relationship. He had an an, an extraordinary affection for her, and and yet he lived in a culture that demanded something more than that. And as he made his way through the city, he would hear the comments, and people would say, Hey, when's she going to give you some children? What's, What's up with that? And you know, you're not limited to just one wife, and... And she bore the the burden, much like Sarah and Abraham, of not producing children for her husband. And she took on all the blame for that. And and so there came a decision, a time made, that, that Elkanah responded to the pressure of the culture that he lived in. And he took on another wife. And she was fertile, and she was able to bear children, and so that's what she did, and she began to give him children, and and then we pick up the story here. We we find that that they are living in this household, and there's tension. 
There's tension between the wife who is providing him children, but but Elkanah really doesn't have a heart for her, and and the tension of with Hannah because Elkanah's heart is for her, but she's not providing him any children, and and yearly they would go up and they would sacrifice and they would worship and. When they would go to do that, he would do what a husband is supposed to do, and he would give his second wife what she needed to get by with. But, but Hannah, he gave her double. And the Bible says it's very clear why he gave her double. He gave her double because Elkanah loved her. This, this story is not just a story from many years ago that has no relevance to today. Because in reality, we are living in the time where this is being played out in the church world. We're living in a time where you're going to see a, a division happening in the body of Christ between two wives or two churches. On the one hand, you have the Hannah, the first wife that Elkanah loves. But on the other hand, you have the, the wife who her relationship with her husband is very different. The book of Revelation chapter 3 talks about one of the struggles we have in this day that we live in is the lukewarm church. Our greatest enemy that we face is not Ebola or ISIS or the Muslim movement as as, as, as concerning as all of those things are, the greatest hindrance and struggle in the church we have is lukewarmness. And when God looked in Revelation chapter 3 at the last day church that you and I are a part of, he looked and he said, I, I don't want you to be lukewarm anymore. I would rather that you were either hot or cold. And we, we often for, don't take into consideration that, that whatever God wants, He goes after it. He brings about a set of circumstances to cause what He wants to happen to happen. On occasion, I, JJ and I want ice cream. I know none of you like ice cream. JJ and I like ice cream. And on occasions, we will be driving past Strickland's and... I desire ice cream. I know you can't tell by looking at me that I've eaten ice cream, but I do. But I desire ice cream. And so I, I bring about the conditions necessary to see to it, David, that I have ice cream. I put on the blinker. I turn in the parking lot. I find a parking spot. I decide what I want. I give JJ the money. I point him to the window. I do what I have to do to bring about the desired end result. I want ice cream. We are living in a day right now that with expediency, God is bringing about his desire. His desire for the church. And if you talk about the church, you're talking about us. We're talking about you and me. His desire is that you make a choice. You make a choice to be hot or cold. Either one of those, as far as God is concerned, is better than lukewarmness. 
God would that you be hot or cold. God's will is that you be forced into a circumstance to make a choice to be hot or cold. And so we have the battle of the two wives or the two churches. They are both in a relationship with the same husband, but their relationship with the same husband is on different footing. We find the same thing bore out in the New Testament. In Matthew 5 and the ten virgins, five of them had a little bit of oil. Five of them had a lot of oil. All of them knew that the trumpet had sounded and that the nearness of the coming of the Son of Man was, and five of them had enough to make it, but five of them had to go and get more because what they had wasn't enough. We have here played out in this story of an Elkanah in that his second wife Her entire relationship with God was based on what she could do for her husband. He didn't love her. He he didn't. It was all about what she could provide for her husband. And we're living in a day where there's going to be a church, a body of believers that, that will be great in number... But their only connection to God is what they can do for God. They build the temples and they gather the airwaves and they feed the poor and and they do all of those things that on the surface may be righteous, but all of their connection with God is on the natural plane. number of years ago, while in prayer... God spoke to me something, and it, it kind of startled me, because when he spoke to me, an individual came to my, my mind, his face. I'm not going to name him, but his face came to my mind, and God said, I have too many successful pastors. I thought, what, what would be wrong with having successful pastors? But, but, you know, when God speaks to you, he may use few words, but there comes a download with that, and, And I knew exactly what he meant. What he was saying was that there were pastors who knew how to manipulate and and manage people and systems to produce a product. And they had no need of him whatsoever. They knew how to gather a crowd and they knew how to move people with emotions and they knew how to do all of that and they had no need of God. And that too many in the church world will look at people like that and be impressed and follow after them because they are successful, because they have children. And there will be a church of the second wife, if you will, who, who is not like the first wife or the first church. This church of the second wife is a church that his whole connection with God is what God can do for them or they can do for God. And there's no love involved. We have a word for those people that when you pay them money, they fake like they love you. So many in the church have become nothing more than that. Their entire connection with God is what God does for me. He blesses me. He heals me. He He makes me feel good. I I need him. I like him. 
and everything is what he does. But the scripture says that if our connection with God is solely based on what he can do for us in this life, we are above all men most miserable. Why do you love God? I love God because he, he delivered me. Thank God he delivered you. He healed me. Thank God he healed you. But what if he doesn't heal you? Would you still love him? Hannah had a passion for God, even though her womb was shut up. She had a passion for God, even though her life was under constant attack. Imagine living. Imagine being that first wife and having another model, a younger model maybe brought in. And and now you become second fiddle because she is successful. Every time you hear the kid laugh, you know that that other woman is better than you. Every time you see them playing together, you know that she has succeeded where you have failed. And yet none of that moved the heart of Hannah. She knew that she knew that her relationship with God was greater than the things that God gave her. There is a church, there are people in the church today that will go along just to get along. Even in the church of God, there's a, a, a discussion brewing like, and, and I've heard ordained bishops say this very thing. What is the big deal with homosexuality anyhow? What is the big deal? It's marriage. I heard one say, it's just a word. What do we care? And many in the day that we're living in, we're living in a a time of provocation where God is going to provoke you and I. Where do you stand for God? Why do you believe what you believe? Are you only connected with God because of what he can do for you? How he heals you, how he delivers. Are you only connected because you're healthy and wholesome and you got money in the bank? But what if you lose all of that? Is your connection with God all about what you can do for him? I've said it before. It doesn't matter to me how much you pray. And it doesn't matter to me how much you worship. And it really doesn't matter to me how much you read your Bible. I can pray to this music stand. And I can worship that music stand. And and I can read the manual on that music stand until I'm green. I want to know something. When was the last time God spoke to you? When was the last time something happened in your life that could not and would not have happened if God had not made that come to pass? When was the last time his Bible read you? When was the last time you got into your word? And as Brother David shared this morning, it moved on your heart. When was the last time that your word convicted you of an idea or a thought or an attitude or a lifestyle that you had to make a change. It isn't so much that we talk to God. Is he talking to you? 
Is he giving to you? Is his word reading your heart? The, the, the church of the first wife, those are important values with her. But the church of the second wife, just, just let me feel the glory bumps today. Don't talk to me about my sin. Don't challenge me to get out of my comfort zone. Don't challenge me to give up something I like doing. Just tell me how much God loves me. Tell me how much he appreciates my giving and my sacrifice, and I'll be happy. But don't get in my face about sin, and don't get in my face about changing my lifestyle, and don't offend me with the word. Y'all are quiet. So which wife will we be? Will we be the wife who says, of course he loves me. Look at all I've done for him. You know, we, we got to get out of that. I, I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings, but listen. Listen to me for just a moment, people. I know all about destiny. I know all about God's will for your life. And I know all about his love for us makes us valuable. But let's get that in perspective the dude flung universes off his tongue. He doesn't need us. The moment you think he needs you, he'll brush you aside and put somebody else in your place who has a humble heart. I tell young ministers, the moment you fail to be surprised that he's using you, you are probably on your way out the door. It ought to be amazing that the God of the universe would take a moment and use you to speak his word, to even talk about his son, much less mention his name. Some preachers act like they're doing God a favor by preaching. No, no, no. He's doing us a favor by letting us expand our lungs one more time and breathe his air. And the church of the second wife is, she's there because she gets. She's there because she, 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 she gets something from him. And, and this is an exchange. You, you give me those good feelings. I went to a Church of God-sponsored church growth program 20 years ago, and it was my last When the leaders of our denomination got up and said, you want to grow your church? Get this into your thick heads. People do not get up on Sunday morning and invest time coming to your service to hear about hell and to hear about their sin. They came to hear how much God loves them. The church of the second wife. The church that's, okay, we have a, 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 a consensual relationship here. I'll do for you, you do for me. I'll keep my mind out of your business and you keep your nose out of mine. I'll come to church. I'll put my money in the offering plate. I'll help the poor. When I lift my hands in worship, I want to feel something. I want you to move on me. 
I want you to touch me. I want you to tell me how much you love me so I can go on about my life and all week long make choices about what I want to do. I want to do this and I want to do that and I want to do this and I want to do that. And back Sunday again, again, tell me how much you love me. And I'm a little bit upset with you this week because I've been sick for two days and you haven't healed me. Let me just throw a truth grenade over my shoulder for just a moment. And I'm, I haven't had time to study it out. It was only in prayer lately that this kind of just dropped in my spirit. So, so I'm, just, I'm just telling you that as a disclaimer. I've got I to gotta search this thing out. But I think we in the church have focused too much on healing. For the believers... Some time ago, God told me something. He, he said that when I was praying for the awakening that God is bringing to the church, and, and he just stopped me and he said, you, 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 healing is not going to play as significant a role as you think it will. Wow, that surprises me. He says, I'll be moving in divine health. Instead of healing. And, and, and just recently, in fact, just this week, out of nowhere, this truth just dropped into my spirit. I cannot think of one person who was a believer that got healed in the New Testament. None of them were professed believers. None of the disciples ever got healed. Did they never get sick? Or did they not get healed? What are you saying? Wouldn't it be wouldn't it be great if we got in such a relationship with God we just didn't get sick? I don't I don't mean to aggravate anybody. Am I there yet? No. Just that's just, just truth grenade. Just chew on that for a moment. I can't think of anybody from Matthew chapter 1 all the way through the book of Revelation where a believer ever got healed. I saw two raised from the dead. Lazarus and the guy in the window with Paul, but I didn't, I didn't see any other place where a believer was healed. After service, you think the one, bring it up to me. But the church of the second wife, it's all about what she can do, what he can do for her. And so she frustrated Hannah. She, the Bible called her an adversary to Hannah because Hannah, her attitude was very different. Hannah just loved her husband. She just, she just loved him. And even more than that, her husband loved her. And their connection was not based on what each gave to the other. Their connection was based on the love they had for one another. And that's hot. That, that's, that's passion. Some of you may have heard about the, the revival that broke out in Brownsville some time ago, and I 
remember one of the early testimonies of a young lady. She, she was one of the, the, the early people to testify about what God did in her life. And, and she said that she was raised in church. Her dad was a doctor. Her mom was a lawyer. They, they were perpetual pew sitters in the church. And, and she grew up in the church. And, and she had nothing to do with this thing, this revival as it started. But one night she went there and, and God dramatically changed her. And, and she talked about how that she used to be lukewarm. She just, you know, she just sat there. She even, and, and she was, but she was just lukewarm. And then, and then one of the things that changed was, was that God forced her to make a choice. You either walk away from me or walk closer to me. And, and she made the choice. And, and I'll never forget her, her giving her testimony. And she said, I, I, I used to be lukewarm. But then when all this happened... I'm hot now. What God is looking for is a lot of hot handers running around the building, okay? I'm talking about people that their only connection with God is he, they love him because they know that he loves them. And, and that's it. And that's enough. I love him. He can tell me to go anywhere he wants me to go. And he can tell me to do anything he wants me to do because I love him and he loves me. And though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Though he take everything away from me, I'm still his and he's still mine. It's not based on always having a good service or always things going right. It's based on I love him and he loves me. And all they need is that. And this divide is coming to the body. Listen to me for a moment. This divide is coming to the body. And there will be the church of the second wife who will spurn the church of the first wife. Because they will be left with nothing but their things. And nothing but their buildings. And nothing but their prestige. But in reality, the tortured one in this marriage was not Hannah, the first wife. But the second wife because she knew that he loved her. And she couldn't change that. There was nothing at all the second church can do to make God love them. They got to sell out to God and just accept his love for them. And they don't get that. And they will draw colder and colder and colder. Put down your religion and put down your striving and put down your forcing and put down your manipulating and put down your lying and just come to God boldly and say, God, you love me. I know you love me. And I want to respond to that love. Because see, Elkanah loved Hannah. He loved her. He gave her more. And can I tell you, regardless of the size of the body that gathers, regardless of the prestige of that body, you find a body of believers that will get on their faces before God and talk to Him. I want you to know something. They will get a double portion from God. They will get more than just maintenance. They'll get more than just enough to get by. We got to get out of this mindset. You see, see the church of the second wife got enough to get by. Get past coming to church to, you know, I even saw one guy, one fellow pastor, a large church near here that posted on Facebook this morning. Come on, people. Let's get together and be blessed. Come on, people. Can you imagine being married to somebody like that? 
Here I am, wife. Bless me. I don't want to hear about what you want. I don't care what you think. Just bless me. And if you don't bless me, I'll go find somebody who will. And yet that's the church. And so they do. They don't get their blessing on Sunday. So on Sunday night, they'll go where they want and do what they want. They'll be with who they want. But the church of the first wife knows this is not about religion. And it's not about numbers. It's not about what you can give to your God. Does he love you? Do you know that? Even in the deepest and darkest times, when Hannah is struggling, her husband would just look her in the eye and say, I'm better to you than even ten sons. There's nothing you can do for me, he's saying to her, that could make me love you any more than I love you right now. So would you just quit trying? The Bible says she rises up out of that. Wow. I want to tell you, God is raising up a Hannah church. Listen to me. I'm trying to close. He's raising up a Hannah church who is fueled not by what God does for them, but by what he speaks into them. His love for them is what fuels them forward. They may not be able to say, well, but he did this or I did that or this happened. But they will tell you, he loves me. As we sang this morning, we are his and he he is ours. I am his and he is mine. And the Hannah church will be fueled by that. They'll be fueled forward by that. And listen, Hannah, for a season, everybody say for a season. For a season, Hannah could not bear children. But that was by the hand of God that she could not bear children. And that all was about to change in a moment, in a moment. Now this is, I don't, I don't mean to be graphic here. We're all pretty well adults. Tim, cover your ears for just a second. Um, we're all pretty well. But, but listen, they were leaving this particular day. We, we don't know for sure. We think that Elkanah and Hannah, on this day in this story, had been married about 23 years. And they were traveling from where they worshipped back home. But on this trip, he couldn't wait till he got home to be with her. Just give me a thumbs up. Don't smile. That would be kind of... just. Okay, just give me one of these. He listen, listen to me. He couldn't wait to be with her. <laughs> and and the Bible says that they stopped off at some guy's house. And the Bible says and he knew her there. What's that saying? Expect God to move on you in unusual places. Get out of your routine, Hannah. You, you may come home from work and be tired, and he 
listen to me for a moment. I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to be funny. Don't put him off. Right then. When he says, it's, it's time to talk to me, that's when you talk to him. Now, some of you will have a hard time with the story, and I, but the Holy Spirit just popped that up in my spirit. It used to be my habit years ago that I would pray outside, and I'm a, more of a night person than a morning person, and, and I think, I don't remember, I think I had to preach the next morning. We weren't pastoring at the time, and, and I was, we were living out in Wellington, Ohio, and, 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 and the property that, it was a little hotel room we lived in, and, but there was a lake out back, and I was out there praying, and it was like 2, 2.30 in the morning, and it had gotten foggy, but, you know, I'm not one that's given to that. I just grew up in a culture. You just weren't afraid of stuff. So I was out there, out in this field, several hundred yards from our house, and, and I was just praying and just having a good time with the Lord. And, and there was a demonic manifestation, literally in the physical realm. I saw it. I saw it, and I heard it. I'm not going to go into detail. I literally, it stopped me cold. It wasn't any farther from me than than the sound booth. It was that far away from me. I saw it, and I heard it, and it was like chills ran down my spine, and and I stopped praying. And I'll be honest with you, being a man full of faith, I turned and ran as fast as I could run. I mean, there there was no doubt, and oh my, and it it startled me. It was so profound, and, and there, and I turned, and I started to run, and it was like the Holy Ghost put his hand in front of my chest and told me to stop. And I could hear, listen to me, I know some of you have an issue with that. That's your issue, not mine. I could hear it walking through the the field towards me at a rapid pace. And I said, what am I supposed to do? And God said, you stand here. (laughs) I said, and do what? And this is what he said. We were talking. You just don't quit talking to him when you feel like it. And you really don't start so much when you feel like it. When he wants to talk, talk. Are you getting this? How many know what I'm talking about? When the Spirit of God draws you, we got this idea that God is some kind of huge butler salvation dude that just shows up anytime we feel like getting saved. Well, guess what? Unless the Spirit of God draw him in, you can't come to God. You don't come to God when you feel like it. You come to God when he draws you. And so God said through his spirit, we were talking. Like, how dare that interrupt our conversation? I said, okay. We'll keep talking. And while we're talking, I'm going to turn around and watch. And God said, no. You keep facing this direction and you close your eyes. I'm like, please don't make me do that part. And my heart was beating 100 miles an hour because I could hear it rapidly coming up behind me. I know some of you have issues with that. Go find another church, okay? I'm just telling you the truth. I'm not trying to be mean. I could hear it, David, running up behind me and rapidly moving behind me. And I closed my eyes and I went back to talking. And, and, and Tim, it was like I could feel it walk right up behind me. And then it stopped right there. And I could just, in my mind's eye, Greg, I could just see it standing right there staring at the back of my head. And when I got done praying, God said, now turn around. And so I turned around like this. 
know what I saw? Nothing. Because the purpose of that demon was gone. And the Holy Spirit didn't let me, let me give in to it. Some of you have missed opportunities because you have allowed busyness to take you away from your time with God. So on the way home, riding their camels, I guess, old man Elkanah looked over at his wife. No guy lives down over here. He'll understand. Let's let's pop in there. And the Bible says, I'm not trying to be funny. The Bible says that Elkanah knew her. That's a nice way to put it. And in the midst of that act, God remembered Hannah. You may, as a, as a member of the church of Hannah, you may have to go to somebody and forgive them. You may have to say something. You may have to do something that causes an awakening in another human being. Amen? But Hannah, when she's in the temple, and I'm, I'm closing, if somebody can give, give me some closing music. When Hannah's in the temple, the Bible said that she was barren. Can I tell you that there is a church that God is raising up that will soon not be barren anymore? In unexpected ways and in unexpected places and in unexpected times, they will bear life. And the Bible says that one day while Hannah was in the temple praying that her lips moved but her voice could not be heard got to understand what that really said God was saying I could hear her voice but nobody else could and that's about to change he's raising up a Hannah church whose relationship with the master is based on this one thing. He loves them. He loves them. And not that warm, fluffy, cotton candy love that says, don't worry about that hidden sin. I'm talking about the love that says, I've got better for you. And I'm going to confront you and I'm going to force you to a place where you've got to give up the sin. Not because I'm mad at you. You've got to give up the other loves. Not because I'm mad at you. You've got to give up some things. Not because I'm mad at you. But because I love you. And those things hinder me from doing in your life what I want to do. That kind of love kind of love that gets in front of somebody and says, hey, what about that? I'm as prone to mistake as anybody else, but a number of years ago, I don't, I don't, I don't watch Christian television. I can't remember the last time, but I remember some reason we turned it on and 
and a guy showed up on the screen and he was on there for a few few moments and my heart was broke for him I, I, I said to Gail Beth I said that's really tragic I, had, I, I Google searched his name to see who he was his name was Ted Haggard and, and I said, it's tragic. And she says, why? I said, because he has nobody around him that will speak truth into his life. And he's the head of the largest evangelical association in the world at that time. I said, there's nobody speaking truth in his life. How do you know? I said, because he's a practicing homosexual. Nobody's confronted him on it. Nine months, a year later, comes out. We ought to have, you know what? When, when God puts his finger on you, he's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to help you. He loves you. And when something or somebody starts to worm its way into your heart, you and I can be deceived. We can be deceived. All of us can be. Our heart, our heart is deceitful and wicked. We can't know it, the Bible says. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Try my heart, O oh God. Sometimes it's painful when God puts his finger and says, that has to go. They have to leave. I'm a jealous God. And they're not there to love you. That's not there to love you. That's there to lust after you. People think the opposite of love is hate. No, 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 no. The opposite of love is not hate. Love is to give. Lust is to take. And there can be things that they don't give. They say they give. Meth says it gives. Sin is pleasurable for a season. It feels good for a little while, but when it leaves, it takes more than it came with. It's like those people at church dinners. You know, they, they come for church dinner, and on the way down, they buy a bag of 50% chips and put them on the end of the banquet table, then they get a plate full of food. Okay. Has anybody ever done that here? Don't, don't say not. I didn't see you do it. I'm just illustrating that. If, if you did that, that's between you and God, okay? I didn't see you do it, honestly. But I imagine there's people that have done that. <laughs> and and there, there can be things in our life and people in our life that that's what they do. Hey, I, I, I bring you this little bit. And then they leave with so much more. That's not, that's not a, a love relationship, that's a lust. Would you stand to your feet this morning? That's Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor of Encounter. More messages from Pastor Rice are available at our website, godenc.com. You can subscribe to our regular podcast through our website or on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter.